0: Don't always come true, and money isn't the only form of compensation. Get ready, Thrivers. We are highlighting a brand new career opportunity today with another fantastic guest on the Thriving Equine Professional. Hey friend, welcome to the Thriving Equine Professional. Are you wondering how to make connections to build a career in the equine industry? Not sure where to look for the support you'll need to land a dream job? Maybe you're feeling frustrated or stuck. Hey, I'm Jodi. I was that girl with no clue how to navigate landing a great career in animal health. But I knew this is where I wanted to be. I look back and cannot believe the roles I've landed and the people I call friends. Inside this podcast, you will meet key connections, build your career confidence, and find the advice you may not know you need. So if you're ready to grow your career and thrive in a job that you are passionate about, you're in the right place. Get the ponies fed and fill those water buckets. It's time to grow, girl. Thrivers, do not miss out. There are two huge opportunities that I want to make sure you are taking advantage of. The first is NextGen Equine Vet Med. So spring 2024, I'm hosting five locations for NextGen Equine Vet Med. And that means if you are an undergraduate student with any interest in pursuing a career in or around the equine veterinary medicine industry, you need to be at one of these locations in the spring semester of 2024. 24. So head on over to my website, www.jodyspeakslife.com That's www.jody, speaks life.com and get yourself registered for one of our locations for spring 2024. You can choose from Nebraska, Georgia, Texas, Kentucky, or West Virginia. So head on over and get that done. Secondly, my calendar is filled for 2023 and I am booked for 2024. So if you are part of any organization that is looking for a dynamic, productive workshop based on communication and behavioral styles, you need to reach out to me today. I am having so much fun working with organizations around the country to really drive greater communication, collaboration, effectiveness, and productivity. So reach out today and let's talk about how I can help you and your organization succeed and exceed expectations and goals. So with that, let's get on with the show. Thursday Thrivers. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Thriving Equine Professional. So today we are lucky enough to have a guest who I just met literally a couple of weeks ago. So I love to share those connection stories. I attended the University of Kentucky Equine Career Fair and just like I love to encourage young people to navigate and network any sort of trade show or career fair or opportunity where you're going to be able to meet people. I love to do the same thing and was lucky enough to be just a couple of tables away from today's guest. So her and I got to chatting like I like to do. And here we are with a brand new career to highlight on today's episode. So I am so excited to have Krista Lay with with us from the University of Kentucky. And we are going to talk forage and pasture and a very unique job and skill set, along with a really cool journey. So Krista Lay, welcome to the Thriving Equine Professional.
1: Well, thank you very much. I'm so glad to be here. We are excited to have you. And Krista,
0: like I said, you and I just started talking about your journey and what your role is, but you really have not only a job role, but your passion for pasture evaluation and forage management and those kinds of things is really interesting. And so you do research and you do speaking and those kinds of things. So I wanna get into all that entails your role, but let's start with where you came from and how you ended up in Kentucky, because I believe, if I remember correctly, that you came here for an internship more than a couple years ago, and you never left.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, that's exactly right. So um, I'm from West Texas and Amarillo. And I I actually was born in in Mississippi. So that was a whole other journey. But anyway, so I got into horses when I moved to Texas. And I, you know, started taking riding lessons once a week at a local barn. And my family didn't know anything about horses. And then it evolved to where I was begging my mom to take me out to the barn anytime I could. And once I got my license, I was basically always in the barn. And So then fast forward, I was 19. I was a sophomore in college. I'm back in Texas. And, I, and this lady came and talked about an internship in Kentucky I'm in one of my classes. And I was like, yeah, that sounds really cool, right? It's a six-month internship. You learn how to full out mares. You work on a thoroughbred farm. And she came like two weeks before the application deadline. And I was like, "Screw it! I'm just going to do it, right? I'm just going to apply. I probably won't get in. Whatever, it's fine, right?" So I filled out the application. I told my mom about it. I showed her the map of Kentucky that has all the little horse heads that show all the horse farms. And my mom says she knew right then that that it was done, that I was gone, right? But I didn't know that, right? So I so then I got I got the call the day before Thanksgiving. I remember this. We were already out of classes the day before Thanksgiving. It was snowing, and um, and Leslie called. And she said, "Hey." You got in, it's a last minute deal. Can you be here January 4th? And I was like, oh crap. Okay, sure. Yeah, let's do this, right? So I, I came to Kentucky and I swore up and down it was gonna be six months, right? I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my internship. I'm gonna go back to Texas, finish my degree. I'd never leave Texas. You know, it's my home. I, I, my family's there, everything. So four months later, I called my mom and I said, hey, so I got accepted to UK and I signed an apartment lease, oops. And she was a little less than thrilled. But she also fully expected it, even though I didn't. But I just, I fell in love with the industry. I fell in love with the opportunities here. It was just, it was, it's horse country, you know, was, there's no other way to put it. And I just, I felt like this was absolutely where I needed to be. And so it was, it was just a no brainer. And I was so happy that I did it. And ironically, if I had actually researched the University of Kentucky, like I tell people you should now. I don't know that I would have done it because they had just started their equine science and management degree program. And I just assumed that they had an equine program, right? But they had they had an animal science program that had some equine focus, but they'd actually just started it. So I, when I came here, I ended up with an animal science degree instead of an equine science degree. And honestly, that worked out fine. Nobody's ever said, oh, you can't work for us because your degree is in animal science, not equine science, right? Yes, So, but but yeah, I, I think that's kind of ironic that had I, had I done that research, I might have made a different decision, but I don't have any regrets about it whatsoever.
0: Yeah. And here you are now, since then, Krista, I also, your family moved here, right? Like, did your family follow you here as well?
1: They did. Absolutely. So I, so I moved here and I was here probably 10, 10 years or so. And, you know, my family was back in Texas. My dad was still in Mississippi, everything and then my sister came here while i was pregnant with my daughter to kind of help me get through pregnancy so she was here for i don't know a summer i guess and she loved it so much that she went back home finished her degree and then came back to kentucky and moved here permanently right and she lived with us for a couple of weeks until she found her an apartment and everything and then about three years later my dad his both of his parents passed away really quickly and he said, you know, I don't have anything left in Mississippi. So both my daughters are in Kentucky. So I'm going to go up there. So then he lived with us for a few weeks while he got settled here in Kentucky and got a job and everything. So then my mom was the last one. So she is currently renting the apartment above our garage. She's been doing that for about a year. So she kind of did this like weird, I'm going to live in Texas half the time and Kentucky half the time. And she'd slowly morphed and she's here about 95% of the time. And so now she lives with us. And my poor husband thought he was marrying someone who had no family in the area. And now they've all lived with us. And he, he's been such a trooper. He's been so good about it. But yeah, you they, they all moved here. It didn't start until I started having a baby. And that's when they all started really moving here. So grandkids is what'll pull what'll pull the parents here pretty quickly.
0: That's right. That's right. When the grandparents show up, all rules are out the window, I feel like, for sure.
1: So true. But it's so nice to have though. I mean, my my husband's family are local and now my family's local. And, you know, we can see everybody in one weekend if we want to, and we can see nobody in one weekend if we want to. So however we want to do it is fine. It is. <laughs>
0: Yes, without a doubt. Well, I love that you kind of made that transition. And I think it's important, especially we have so many young listeners, and that's really the point here, right, is highlighting these careers and helping these students to know and understand how many opportunities are available in and around the equine industry. And so what a great example of you followed a path a little bit spontaneously and had that opportunity present itself. And you said, I'm going to try this out. I'm going to give it a try. I may or may not get in, but then you did. And so your whole career trajectory kind of changed at that point.
1: Oh, 100%. And I wouldn't say I was a little bit spontaneous. I would say I was 100% spontaneous, right? I mean, it just happened. It all fell into place. And yeah, I had no intentions of ever going to Kentucky. i never thought about it. It's just a, a completely different concept, but it just it sounded fun. You know, I was so tired of working for the future, you know, all through high school and all through college. They're like, well, you do all these good things and you get all these good grades and all these great internships and eventually it's going to pay off. And I'm like, I've been doing that my whole life and I'm ready for something to pay off now. I'm ready to have fun now. I'm ready to have experiences now. And that's what this was. It was let's just go do something right now that is fun, that's exciting, that's educational, that I that I want to do. So I didn't do it as a, it's going to look good on my resume. I did it as a, I got to change something up. I'm so tired of school and I'm so tired of working for the future. I want my future now. And that's what I did.
0: What a great point, Krista. And I am in the middle of reading a book called The Gap and the Gain. And I think that's just a great example of how we are often so busy working towards some sort of end goal that we forget that this right now is truly part of the journey and so our decision to be fulfilled by working hard and taking advantage of the experiences and opportunities that we have today That is truly the goal. The goal is to grow and develop and learn. And that happens right now. It is not something that is dangling on the end of a carrot somewhere in the unforeseen future. That yes, we're always growing and going, but that I just love that message so much because I do think that we have to also understand that today is our greatest opportunity to do something that grows what I call our head and our heart. Right. Like let's learn and do and be in what we have available to us right now, even though, yes, we're working to be a better Jody and a better Krista tomorrow than we are today. But I absolutely love that message. So I want to make sure that we are are sharing that and reiterating that with our listeners uh, just to take advantage of every opportunity that we have today. Yeah, absolutely. Now, before we really jump into what you do, I also know that from an equine perspective, you and your husband, you said, have a small breeding operation and boarding operation there at home. So let's maybe start there. So tell us kind of how that came about and what that looks like for you guys.
1: Yes, yeah, so that was actually a very recent recent thing in our lives. So, you know, during COVID, we had a small farm a little further out from Lexington is like seven acres and it was just a couple of our own private horses and we both did a little bit of riding and a little bit of showing nothing really serious or anything mostly just for fun and quite honestly we had grown bored you know we were we were tired of just going to work and coming home and you know we enjoyed our daughter and everything enjoyed family time but we just we wanted a bigger challenge and so we had talked about wanting to buy a bigger farm and do a little bit more farming and we initially wanted to be closer to his family so moving away. Away from Lexington a little bit. Um, and so when COVID happened, financially, it just worked out that it, that it made a lot of sense that we were suddenly in a really good position, you know, and interest rates were stupid low and lots of things were coming on the market and it was just perfect timing. And so we started shopping around. Ironically, we we had a farm under contract near his parents' house and it fell through after six months under contract with us. It was this huge, painful, awful process And then the whole thing fell apart. And I'm so thankful that it did now because one, we would have probably been bankrupt had we actually bought that farm. And it just, we have so much better now, like we're so much better off. So I was mad and I was scrolling through real estate listings on my phone and just angry that there was nothing out there for us and that this place that we thought was perfect had been taken away from us. And we had we had to move all of our stuff out of the storage unit back into our old house. Like that, that sucks. That is just painful, right? This was really tough. And this is during COVID, so everybody's down and you know we're not seeing people and stuff. And so I was just mad scrolling through Realtor and I started looking in Versailles because I wanted to see all the big fancy horse farms that I could never, ever afford, right? I'm like, oh, look at this $10 million farm. Look at this $3 million farm. And then this little farm popped up in Versailles And I was like, well, now that's in our budget, right? Like that could, that could maybe work. And so then I started looking at it and I was like, oh, this place is kind of cool. You know, like I kind of like it. So we called a realtor, we went to see it and we had no, we had no intention of actually buying it. We knew that there was no way it was going to work out. We'd never get the loan. We'd never get approved. You know, whatever the hurdle was going to be, we knew there's no way it could happen. And it didn't, like the hurdle just didn't come. Like we just kept progressing through it. And we're like, this place is perfect in every way. And by perfect, I mean, the house was falling down. The fences were in ruin. Like we had to come in and basically we got the whole place. But you know, in that sense, it was perfect. And so we bought it and I told the sellers right at the end when we were haggling over the last little bits and pieces, I said, look, I'm the only person that's stupid enough to buy this place, so you just need to sell it to me, right? And they did, (laughs) they sold it to us and we bought the farm. And so we started boarding uh, retirement horses. So retired show horses and pleasure horses, horses that have been in the show ring and they've carried their owners around. And a lot of times they're the only horse that that person owns and they've done their duty. And now it's time for them to be a horse again. And so they they typically don't thrive as well at a really active training boarding facility. So instead they come, with us, they come to us and they find that there's no expectations. And I, I swear they will get off the trailer and they'll go, there's like, there's no expectation here. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to work. You know, I can just be a horse. And and there's a there's a big relief and some of it comes instantly and some of them it takes them a couple of weeks to realize that they don't have to do anything here. And I I tell every horse I'm like, you don't die and you don't try to kill me and that's the only things that I ask of you. Beyond that, whatever goes, that's perfectly fine. So we started doing that. We filled up in like 4 months, I think. So super fast how quickly happened our first client horse got here eight days after we closed on the farm. So we like hit the ground running and we've been so blessed with wonderful clients and wonderful horses. And then last year we started taking on some brood mares as well um, because we wanted to kind of get into some thoroughbred breeding. So we have this weird hodgepodge of really old horses and then mama horses with babies and it's a lot of fun. My front pasture has a 35 year old mare and a five month old colt in it right now. And it's weird as little family, but it works. We're so blessed. We doubled the size of the barn and we again filled the barn up. We actually went over capacity this spring, took off a little more than we probably needed to, but it's just, it's been such a blessing. It's been such a journey and we love that we get to raise our daughter in this lifestyle. So we spent the past weekend pressure washing the barn, which is not what anybody says. I want to grow up to spend my weekends pressure washing a horse barn, right? That's not. That's not what you want to do, right? But, but it was so satisfying. It's so wonderful to work for something that is truly yours, um, that you know is your investment, it's your legacy, that kind of thing. And seeing my daughter out there, and she was out there shoveling poop just right along with us, you know, and she's in her little dress and her little pity tails, out there shoveling poop, right? And just rocking every minute of it. So I, it's that lifestyle that we just enjoy so much, you know, and it's it's been such a blessing, but it's been a very – kind of roundabout little way that we came, came to be here in Versailles and and are just so glad to be here.
0: I love that. And it's so, there's so much gratification and fulfillment. I can just hear that from you. What I share the most is I have a love. One day I will get back to a point of being able to take care of geriatric horses. Cause I, there is a spot in my in my heart for geriatric horses and dogs. And I just will literally change my life for them and have had that opportunity before. And will, I long for that again, because I just know how great that feels to be able to, you know, they train you, I always say, you know, that they train you because they do have special needs, they do have quirks and this, that and the other. But being able to take care of them is really, truly gratifying and and fulfilling. So, I mean, that's tremendous. Congratulations to you for that dream coming true. And I think, Krista, that's a really great transition to one of the points that you make so eloquently is you were quick to say that you are blessed that your dreams didn't come true. And so talk us through that a little bit and what you mean by that. You, you know, that's the number one point that you made to me that you just feel beyond blessed that your dreams didn't come true. So tell us about that.
1: I could probably name, I could name three big dreams of mine right off the bat that did not come true. And that at some point in my life, I was truly upset about, and I'm so glad now that they didn't come true. Right. So one was my career choice, first of all, I initially, so in high school, I wanted to be an equine massage therapist. Why? I have no idea. No clue. Never even seen it done. Have no. I bought a book, thought it sounded great, right? Um, and then I moved here to Kentucky, did an internship. Um, I worked on the track for a little while and I thought, you know, I want to be a racehorse trainer, right? That's, that looks like fun. It's a hard life. It's a very, very hard life. And I was really lost and didn't know where I wanted to go after that. And the job that I have now just kind of fell into my lap and it just kind of worked out. And and now it's been an amazing career path for me. So that's one dream that I just, I didn't even, I didn't know to dream it. Like I didn't know what I wanted and I just assumed what I wanted was what I needed and it and it wasn't the case. And the farm was the same way. Like we had this farm picked out near my husband's family and it would have been perfectly fine, except that the place was a disaster and we would have been miserable there and and we wouldn't have been able to do what we're doing here. And so I'm so thankful that that didn't happen. And the last one was, uh, I'll admit that when I decided to stay here in Kentucky, I absolutely fell in love with the industry and, and everything that I said earlier. There was also a guy, there's a boy, and I thought that he hung the moon. I thought he was the best thing that ever happened. And he was a horrible person. <laughs> And it was a horrible situation, and I am so thankful that I did not end up with him, and that I figured that out. So all of those those big points in my life, I just thought, this is what I need, you know, this is what I want, this is what's going to make me happy, this is going to check off the box, right? And I'm so thankful that none of them happened because I would have been a broke racehorse trainer, married to a really horrible person, living far far away, right? Like it just would have been a hot mess, right? So. I'd, I'm so thankful that all of those things didn't happen. And my life is so much better than I could have ever imagined, that I could have ever thought to dream about.
0: I, that is so, there's so much wisdom there. And I love that. So dreams not coming true are oftentimes a blessing. And you said something in there, you didn't know really what to dream right? We don't know what to dream. We don't always know how big to dream, but keep dreaming and keep going after it. But also take the blinders off along the way and make sure you don't miss an opportunity that comes because you are pursuing what you thought was your dream, but you're going to end up in a, in a different lane. So let's, let's go down that road and let's talk about what do you do, Krista? What is your job? And because you did not as a little girl say, I want to be a research analyst at the University of Kentucky Forage Extension Program. So let's talk all things.
1: So I'll try to do the best that I can to explain it. So so my, my office, my group of people I work with, we're in Forage Extension, which means our job is to take research done at the university, package it in a way that the average person, the average horse owner could understand, and then disseminate it within the state and even further, right? So my job is essentially adult education. To help people understand the the advancements and the discoveries that are made at the university and how that applies to their daily life, and we do that within the context of forages, so grasses and plants that are grown to be consumed by livestock. And so most of my group works primarily in cattle and hay production, and I'm kind of like a subset of that where I work more specifically with horse farms. So 90% of my time is spent somewhere, some way, somehow. Helping horse farms improve their pasture management, planting better species, understanding soil fertility, how to control weeds, how to do grazing management, those kinds of things. And so, on a day-to-day basis, it can entail so many different things. You know, I'll spend one day sampling a pasture and visiting with a farm about um, some issues that they've had with their broodmares or something, and I'll spend the next day writing a presentation for um, an extension agent group. So that's what I did just on how to interact with horse farms um, to county extension agents. And so every day is a little bit different. I go to, to scientific um, conferences. I go to more public-facing type events. We put on educational events, and I speak, um, and I visit farms, and we put together research projects that are funded by the industry. And it's it entails a lot. That's hard to nail down, but it is something different every single day.
0: And I think the really cool thing about it, Krista, in regard to sharing with our listeners, is that the University of Kentucky is nationally and internationally known for the research that is done on pasture and forage management. It's a huge business, really. And there's a lot of dynamics involved in that and the past few winters as i've gotten to spend time in florida i'm originally from maryland and then when you spend so much time in kentucky i always will say we take for granted the blessings that we have here right we can basically put our horses out to pasture 12 months and when managed correctly there's there just isn't quite the challenge that you have in a lot of other places because we have such a rich Soil and pasture supply. And then, you know, to go, of course, from Maryland, where I feel like we spend five months in mud and ice, and then the Florida to be so different down there. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you guys just don't. you can't grow grass and sand, right? So there is a lot of reputation out there that I think even right in Kentucky, we might take for granted what's being done here at the university that is relied on. Out, across the state and beyond to your point.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we are, we are so blessed to be here. And I don't think, I think you're right. Most of us probably don't fully appreciate the natural resources that are here. And it makes raising and maintaining great horses easier because we have wonderful pasture. We're able to graze it so many months out of the year. We're able to put those horses that we, we generally are pretty land rich compared to other areas like Maryland, you know, your average farm might only have a couple of acres for several horses. And those horses are going to spend the majority of their time in stalls or in small little lots and that sort of thing. And, and here most of our horses can spend most of their days out on pasture. Um, and so that's a that's a really important thing for us. And then um, because of those natural resources that are here, then all of the infrastructure gets added here too. So we have all the all the big vet clinics and We have a lot of really impressive research that goes on this area and all the best farriers are here. And, and, you know, within the horse industry, almost nobody's from Kentucky. Like if you talk to horse, we all move here, right. And we all come together for this great industry. So it's really, it's really cool the way that this is how it really truly is horse country and you can't appreciate it until you see it and experience it. But it, it is so much to do with the natural resources that were here long before we were long before horses were here.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And so there are students and young people who may be interested in these types of jobs. And certainly we can get degrees in plant science and forage management and soils and those kinds of agriculture and horticulture majors. But to your point, I think this was something you didn't plan for and it happened. And so I think that's an important lesson of your journey and being open to say, this happened by accident, right?
1: No, absolutely did. So I, um, I was working at the UK Research Farm, just taking care of horses on the weekends, you know, student help, nothing exciting, seven bucks an hour kind of thing. And a friend called me and said, hey, I know this guy on campus who is looking to hire somebody to work in extension. Do you want to do it? And I Google what is extension? And I'm like, oh, well, that sounds cool. Like, I'll do that. So I interviewed for the job and I and I got it. And, you know, it was a three-month summer job, right? And I was like, well, all right. And I jokingly said it was my first big kid job, right? So I'm going to do my big kid job for a couple of months and then see where it takes me from there. Um, and that's all it was supposed to be for three months. And then three months goes by and I'm still working and I don't really know what's going on. And I'm like, well, he hasn't told me to stop coming to work, so I'm just going to keep going to work is the truth. And then about October, I was like, okay, like, like, what's up? Like, do I get to stay? Like, what are we doing here? And he's like, well, my lab technician is going to be leaving in January. So, you know, do you want to just stay and take her job? And I was like, great, sure. That sounds wonderful. That, that sounds like I'll be able to pay the rent and not go hungry. And I, I knew nothing about forages before I started this job. I knew that grass was green. That is all that I knew. And everything that I've learned has been on the job training, right? And I, I've been able to get my master's degree through this job, and I've gone from, you know, essentially summer student help that that was unskilled labor, you know, just doing grunt work, to, um, you know, one of the leading experts in horse pastures in the U S you know, I mean, I, I get calls from States, you know, all over the nation and, and I'm asked to speak at all these things and I'm, I'm not bragging that I'm some, you know, amazing, wonderful thing at all, but, but I have a lot of experience, you know, and I've gotten to see so many, I've walked so many pastures, and I've talked to so many farms and I've worked through a lot of those issues and um, that some of those farms have had. And since I've been doing it for a while now, I've been able to kind of see how, how our recommendations have, have worked out or in some cases not worked out and see how, you know, weather has affected pastures. I mean, I've got pastures that I've been walking for 10 years and I know where every little divot is and I know that that water leaks and that that gate's really hard to open um, and there's really good shade on that side of the pasture if you need to take a break. Like I know those things about those fields and so that's really cool to know that area so well but it's a job that I don't know that even fully existed. So the, the girl that did it before me was not a horse person and she, you know, just kind of did some data stuff, but it wasn't, she didn't really embrace the equine side of things. So I kind of tell people, I kind of weaseled my way and made a job for myself. And that's, that's very much what it is. I made a job for myself because I had this opportunity and there was a need and I was supported by the people that I work with. And I even have to provide my own funding. So I have to apply for grants and those grants pay my salary. And so I work to I work to work, right? I have to work to keep my job. But it's so it's so rewarding and it gives me a ton of freedom and, and that sort of thing. So and it's it's ever evolving. So for we're always doing our pasture evaluation program, which is kind of our bread and butter where we work with horse farms and do a lot of on-farm sampling. So that that kind of maintains throughout. But then we have other things that kind of come and go. So for a long time we were working in natural resource conservation. Um, And we were really working with horse farms to reduce the impact of of equine grazing on the, the environment. And then that kind of morphed into working with the NRCS, the Natural Resource Conservation Service that's part of USDA, and helping them connect with horse owners because they said, we recognize there's a need, but we don't know how to talk to horse people. And I was literally the translator. I'm like, look, you guys both want the same thing, right? We want to make it less impactful to have horses grazing, right? But but they don't know how to talk to each other and they didn't know who each other were. And so I'm literally like, okay, here, you beat this person. Now you meet that person and now we're going to talk this out. And so making those connections, you know, and now I've kind of morphed more into working with hay producers to produce quality forage here in Kentucky for the horse market. So right now, a lot of our hay comes from out West and we're trying to encourage more horse farms to buy local hay reduce that that carbon emission from trucking all that hay in and that sort of thing and really support those local hay producers so it's a it's an ever morphing changing there's usually two or three projects going on at one time kind of uh, kind of job
0: yeah now krista you mentioned along those lines that you are working to fund your paycheck right so I do not want to bypass that point because I think that you are also quick to say we we started with your your real your rule of life that you have been blessed that your all your dreams didn't come true but you are also quick to say that money isn't the only form of compensation. So I know that's important to you and I think that's something that we need to hear today that when the goal is money we are often left very unfulfilled and we and find ourselves in this constant pursuit of unattainable happiness. And so I do love to talk about those of us who really understand that there are different goals, whether the goal is fulfillment or the goal is freedom or the goal is service, you know, whatever those goals are, we have to choose a goal other than compensation. So talk to us a little bit about your rule of life, maybe as I will call it, that money isn't the only form of comp.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's something I believe very strongly that, Obviously you have to make enough money to pay the bills, right? Like, I mean, that's kind of a basic, but I think there's so much more to a job. And if that position is going to be a good fit for you. So, you know, besides the money, do you have the flexibility? So if, if my daughter gets sick tomorrow, there is no question in my marriage who is going to deal with that because my husband has zero flexibility, but I have complete flexibility. I can take off any time that I need to. It's not an issue. I've never been told no, you know, that sort of, I don't even ask anymore. I just tell them I'm taking off. Um, That's just kind of the freedom that I have. I have a lot of autonomy, so I don't go to my boss and say, okay, what am I supposed to do today? Instead, my boss comes to me and he says, okay, what are you up to this week? And I say, okay, I'm going to do these things. And he's like, great, you know, let's, uh, you know, maybe add this or don't let this thing fall off the, off the list. I'm like, yeah, perfect. But I I have so much freedom to decide what I'm gonna do and where my interests lie and kind of following that, even in the funding situation, I do that. So one of the really big grants that we got that funded my salary for five years that my, my boss didn't think we were gonna get. He told me not even to apply for it. He said, There's no way you'll get it. It's too competitive. I'm like, well, I think I will. And so I applied for it anyway and I got it. And it was one of the best, best grants we ever had. So Having having that, that freedom, that autonomy to really decide what my path is going to be, where my interests lie, and that sort of thing is so freeing. It's nice to know that it's not always 8 to 5, Monday through Friday. Yes, yeah, sometimes we have an evening program or I have to get up really early to go do something, but sometimes the dog was up barking all night, and I just can't be in the office by 8 o'clock because I need an extra hour to sleep, right? And that's fine. That's okay. It's, you know, the work gets done. I'm answering emails and catching up on things. And it's just, it's just not a big deal. And I think that kind of stuff is hard to put a price tag on. Like it's hard to, to say, this is worth $10,000 worth of pay, right? Cause it's hard to put a, a numeric value on those things. And then the other thing is that I don't work for somebody else to make money, right? I work to make the world a better place and very specifically in an industry that I appreciate and that has made me a better person. And I'm able to give back to that industry. And that means so much to me. Like So my husband has the polar opposite job. He works for a company and the harder he works, the more money they make. And it is very strict and it is very structured. And he shows up and they say, you go here and take that and, and that sort of thing. And I I couldn't do it. I just, I, I don't think I could. I disgruntled, I feel like, knowing that I'm working my life away, and yeah, I'm making a paycheck, and that's great. but ultimately, I'm just working for somebody else to cash in, kind of thing, and that's just not fulfilling to me. Now I will say, my husband makes twice what I make. He makes significantly more than I do. Um, he does not have a college education. Neither one of his brothers have a college education. They all do what I would consider like for corporate type work and they all make way more money than I do. That's okay. Like I'm so fine with that. And I cannot imagine like we couldn't have our farm if I had a job similar to my husband's, right? Because when there's a sick horse and that happens, I can stay home. I can meet the vet. If the vet can come at two o'clock in the afternoon, great. I'm going to be here. That's fine. And so we have that, that ability and we could never have this place if, we both worked that kind of job like my husband has so that freedom is so much and we joke that i'm i'm ruined forever at being able to have any kind of real job right because there's no way i could be expected to show up every single day at eight o'clock with like real clothes on right there are some days i just need to show up at 9 30 in my yoga pants to my couch and work that way and that's that's great and i did that before covid like i was a great work from home a couple days a week way before COVID where it was cool. So COVID just made it easier. <laughs> so made it more commonplace. But yeah, that, that freedom, that autonomy, that ability to, to really balance that, you know, work-life balance is a really big like buzzword, right? And I don't look at it as having to fit my life around my work. I look at it as fitting work around my life. And that's I feel like that's how anybody should be, even though most people probably aren't in a situation where that's what they can have. But I very much feel like I can kind of mold my job around the rest of my life. And, you know, yeah, there's some things that I have to make sacrifices and can do. You know, it was like yesterday there was a, a, an equine event that I wanted to go to, but I'd already committed to driving on the Bowling Green and presenting. And so I was like, well, OK, I should do that. But but generally speaking, I can come and go and and that sort of thing. And a lot of the, where I I work in an industry that I also am in personally, then a lot of the things that I do kind of overlap. So I go to the farm managers club meetings um, and initially I was paying for those out of my personal accounts, right? Because I'm going to represent my farm and I put my farm's name on the name tag, right? But I kept running into farm managers who know me as my work through UK, And so they kept asking me pasture questions and I'm over here giving like herbicide advice and I'm like telling people when to seed. And I'm like, yeah, I'll come see your pasture next week. And I'm like, I am working here. So UK needs to be paying for this. And so that's something. So now every month I pay for my husband's ticket on our personal account on our farm. And then I pay for my ticket for UK and we go and I do a little work and I do a little pleasure and it's all, you know, it's all one kind of molded thing.
0: Yeah. I couldn't agree more, Krista, on those points because I do very strongly believe that, A, I'm not a fan of the term work-life balance because I think we're past that. It's life balance. Our job, our role as a career person, whatever it is that we do for a job is part of our life, right? It's no different than you're a mom and you're a wife and you're a research analyst, those are all roles within our life. So I love that explanation. The other thing that I really that really stands out to me is, you know, the freedom and the autonomy that are so important to you. I do want to share with our listeners, though, that you earn that. And while you and I are deep enough into our career, that is something that your work ethic, your willingness to be the hardest worker in the room and show up and do the things that are not initially required of you. I do believe, and tell me if you agree, that that is really how you earn freedom in a job.
1: Yes, 100%. So the job I have now is not the job I started with 13 years ago, right? So so 13 years ago, I had to show up every day at eight o'clock with real pants on and do real work. And my boss said, okay, today you're going to do this and tomorrow you're going to do that. And that's Absolutely earned, um, and there's a, a level of trust between my boss and I, where I've you know proven that I can do these things. Not only that I know the technical information, that I can actually give good advice and actually know what I'm talking about, but that I'm also going to do it. And that is absolutely earned because that is not what it used to be. So you know when we when we do pasture evaluation, we go out to farms. And we bring them a report and we go through the report with them and we kind of explain everything. And initially my boss would go on every one of those, right? And I would sit back and I would listen and I would watch and I would learn. And then it got to where he's like, well, do you want to lead this one? And so then I would kind of go through the report and, you know, kind of mimicking what I would learned from him. And he'd kind of jump in there on occasion. And then it got to where he's like, okay, well, we need to do these. Can you come to a couple of these? Okay, I can handle that one and that. And And this year I didn't even tell him which ones I was doing. I would just go do them. And then every once in a while I'd be like, Hey, I, can you just cover this one? Here's the book. Here's the address have added. And so it's very much earned both from a a technical standpoint and just a work ethic standpoint. So you can't expect to walk into something like that. you never, I can't imagine where you're ever going to find a job that just you walk into the first day and you have that level of freedom. But because I've proven myself because I've shown that I'm capable of it and that I can do that, then I'm rewarded with what I like to call a very, very long leash. Very, very long. leash. You know, um, I'm not tethered by much anymore, um, but that is certainly not what it was 13 years ago. But it it also grew with me, you know. So when I first started, I was right out of college and it was just me. And I lived on the back of a horse farm, and you know my bills were probably five or six hundred dollars a month, and and it was okay that my job was not guaranteed because I funded, and it was okay because it's just me, and eh, this job doesn't work out. I could always go back to the track, and I can always get fund something else. You know, now I've got I've got a mortgage, and it's a big mortgage, and I've got car payments, and I've got you know life insurance, and all these grown up terrible things, right? And so that makes it a lot scarier to have a job that's not set in stone but I also have a tremendous amount of faith in in my boss who has been able to make sure that I have funding for this long. And he works very hard to make sure that I'm always funded, that there's always a backup plan. And equally, I have worked very hard to make myself essentially, essential to, to the industry and to the university because if the money ever runs out, the first thing we're gonna do is go to the college and say, look, here's all the great work Crystal's been doing the last 15 years but well, we don't have any money right now. Can you cover her for six months? You know, And then we're gonna to go to the industry and be like, hey, can you guys cover her for a few months until we get another grant or something? And so I look at, so I'm, I'm investing in that backup plan for me and hopefully it never comes to any of those things, but it could happen, right? But it's nice, it's nice to know that that's kind of the bigger plan. And if you, ha- if you haven't caught it by now, my supervisor, his name is Ray Smith. He, he is a saint and he and I have such a wonderful relationship. And I think that is so meaningful. I think that's another thing that I so deeply appreciate about this job is that I have a wonderful person to work for, that he truly understands the chaos that is my life and that my job needs to fit around that life. And he supports that in every way. And I can't, I can't imagine doing, doing work, doing work for anybody else at this point. You know, I mean, he's, spoiled me because like I said, I have a long leash and get away with anything. And I've spoiled him, but I just take care of stuff. And he doesn't have to ask me, did this get done? And did you send that email? He does ask me those things just because that's his nature, but he knows I did them and I did and we're all fine. And we do this little dance where he asks and I tell him and we're good to go. And so it's it's just a really great relationship that we have. Um, and that's something Certainly my husband does not have, he does not have that kind of relationship with his boss. And I don't know many people that do, but that's a, that's another really awesome spot for me.
0: Absolutely. And admirable, right? That you, you know, you have put in the work, you've earned it and continue to really just pour into it and have created that life. Now, Krista, as we wrap up here, I just don't want to miss, there's, there's so many other things I know that we can touch on, but you also, as you say, moonlight, often I, some people have side hustles, but you have a moonlight position as an event coordinator for, and you can tell us about the Alliance for Grassland Renewal and what that is. So give us a little, a little overview of that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the Alliance for Grassland Renewal is a nonprofit and it's a group of universities, and industry representatives, and and other research organizations. And their goal collectively is to reduce um, or eliminate a specific type of grass that's common in horse pasture. So toxic infected tall fescue. So fungus lives in the grass and it can be toxic to to animals in certain situations. And so their goal is to replace that with a new technology called novel endophyte tall fescue. So that's like the science side of things. But what's important for me is that it is a group of people that work in essentially the same space that I do for my job at UK, Um, although they're more cattle and hay facing and I'm more specific to horses. And they were looking for somebody, so they're a bunch of old men, and they were looking for a mom that could take care of them and help them plan their stuff and keep their books, all that kind of stuff, keep their notes and everything. And so that's what they were looking for. And it was a great opportunity for me to make a little extra money. It is not insignificant money. Like it is, it is actually impactful to my budget. And to make that little bit of extra, and it's it's not that much extra work because it's things that I do all the time for my job at UK. And therefore, it's a skill set that I already have, and it's really easy for me. But they're they're tasks that would be very hard for a lot of them to do. And so it's my side hustle or I moonlight for them. But what's really cool about it because it's in the same space as my job with UK. One, there's a lot of overlap. And two, I've met a lot of professionals within forage research that I might have met once a year at a big conference. And now I have quarterly board meetings with these people and we work together on subcommittees and I get to know them so much better. And so now I have all of these connections across the country. And so when I have a research question or I have some other type of of things that maybe we can't answer in Kentucky or we need to reach out a little further. I've got contacts all over the country. Just recently, some of those contacts flew me out to Oregon for four days. And I got to tour a whole new part of agriculture that I'd never seen before because of that that group. And so, yeah, the money's nice. I and mean, it looks good on a resume, but also it's that much more networking and it's that much more experience for me. And so it's it's a really, really cool gig. So I, I have, you know, three jobs. I work for the University of Kentucky. I moonlight for the Alliance. I manage a horse farm and I have a kid and a husband to keep alive. So my life is chaos, but it is a beautiful kind of chaos that I embrace and wouldn't give it up for anything.
0: Absolutely. I, I don't think we could end with anything better. I can't top that, right? You put it together so eloquently, Krista. And again, I appreciate you so much. And I know that our listeners appreciate these stories and insights and guidance and wisdom and all of those things. And so I And I always ask, so I've already asked you, but there will be someone who wants to be in touch with you. And as I encourage, especially our young listeners to pursue these connections, wherever you are in the world, you can connect with Krista and ask her questions. She can be a mentor or an advisor or just an ear to listen and answer those questions. So how can our listeners find you and be in touch with you?
1: Yeah, I'm so glad to do that. It's one of the things I love working with undergrads and helping helping other people find where they need to be, and even if that's not where they thought they needed to be, which is something I often tell people, it's okay if you don't know what you want to be when you grow up. You can just figure it out as you go. But yeah, I'm so glad to talk to people. The best way to reach me is, and they can reach out to my UK email that I'm assuming you'll be able to post somewhere somehow so I encourage people to just reach out to me that way. If you find a phone number for me, you're welcome to call it. I may or may not answer. Um, And if you leave a voicemail, I might get it in the next six months. Um, So email really is the best way to get me. Um, And it might be a day or two before you hear back, but I am very, very glad to work with young people to invest in their future because their future is my future and my daughter's future and the future of this industry. And so I think that we absolutely need to pay that forward in every way possible.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. And I will leave your email in the show notes for everyone to reach you. And then also just want to give a, a shout out. You mentioned the Alliance, which is grasslandrenewal.org. Is that correct? So grasslandrenewal.org is that website. And then your farm in Versailles, TexadaFarms.com. Is that correct?
1: That's correct. Yep. All of my contact information. <laughs> yeah.
0: Perfect. Yes, I will have all of that in the show notes for our listeners. Krista, thank you so much for being a guest. You are truly a thriving equine professional, which is exactly what we're sharing. So thanks for being here. And I will look forward to continuing to learn from you. And uh, hopefully I'll, I'll get a little bit smarter about pasture management going forward now that I've now that I've got you on speed dial, right?
1: Yeah, right. Well, call me anytime about pastures or anything else that I can help with. I'm always glad to chat, and I really enjoyed being here today.
0: Thank you, Krista. Thrivers, that's it for today's episode. We will see you back here same time next week on The Thriving Equine Professional. Have an amazing day. Hey, Thriver. I hope this episode inspired and empowered you to keep growing. If so, I'd be so grateful if you hit that share button and send it to your tribe so they can thrive too. And while you're there, please leave me a rating and review on Apple Podcasts so everyone can find the show. I love to know what keeps you listening, especially if I'm at the barn with you. I'll meet you back here same time next week. Cheers, Jody.